0: An advocacy group could dramatically change college sports, plus we have ESPN's Bobby Marks on later to preview the NBA season. It's Wednesday, October 4th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. reporter Amanda Kristovich has an exclusive on frontofficesports.com on a complaint to the National Labor Relations Board challenging the NCAA's amateurism model. Joining me now is Amanda Kristovich. Welcome, Amanda.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: Good. How are you doing?
1: Never a slow news day.
0: (laughs) Yes. One day. One of these days. We'll have it. Um, So fill in some details for us. What's the story with this complaint and what does it seek to do?
1: Yeah, so over the past couple of years, there have been a flurry of complaints filed with the National Labor Relations Board related to the compensation rights of college athletes. So think employment status versus amateurism status. Um, and this was brought on because the NLRB's general counsel, who was appointed by the Biden administration, um, is very pro athletes. College athletes should be considered. Uh, employees of their universities. Like, that's her stance. And she said that publicly. So, this is the latest complaint. It's the first one that um, is against a conference, it's against the Ivy League. It was filed by an advocacy group called the College Basketball Players Association. Um, and this, along with several other complaints, are alleging that various athletes at schools, the, you know, conferences, the NCAA are misclassified, and that's like something that the NLRB will look into the misclassification of employees versus non employee status. Um, there is one petition for a union also at the NLRB now, but that's somewhat different from what this complaint is.
0: And if this complaint is successful, does that mean that at least some college athletes are going to start getting paid?
1: Uh, theoretically, yes. Um, there is another complaint that is similar to this that was filed by a different advocacy group against USC, the Pac-12, and the NCAA, and that complaint is a misclassification of uh, Division One football and basketball players. There will be a trial in November. That uh, shameless plug. Front Office Sports, a.k.a. me, will be covering in person in Los Angeles. Um, That's going to be in November. So that will probably get heard first. But, yeah, the idea of any of these different complaints, um, ultimately, they could take a year or more to decide. But, yes, college athletes could become employees. So that means they could collectively bargain for wages, the amount of the wages, TBD but that's the goal.
0: And so this complaint is against the Ivy league. If the Ivy league has to start treating their athletes like employees, does that, you know, create a domino effect to the rest of the other conferences or not necessarily?
1: Definitely. Um, it, it, it definitely does because you can't be an NCAA sanctioned athletics program with professionals. So, um, they would either get kicked out of the NCA altogether or the NCA would have to change um, its tune based on legal precedent. I would say it would be more likely that the latter would become the case.
0: And I was, I had written in my notes, does this have a chance? Sounds like it has a pretty good chance.
1: Yeah, it definitely, um, look, it, it's not really about whether this case in particular has a chance at succeeding. There are so many cases right now that are kind of arguing the same thing, aiming themselves at different entities in college sports and representing different athletes, that the fact that there are so many cases like suggests that one of them is going to be successful because the NLRB, even though it's a matter of labor law is you know, headed by a general counsel that is decided by each presidential administration. So we're in a, you know, we're in a, in a democratic administration right now. So the general counsel is going to be more liberal than they might be, you know, if there's a Republican as president, right? So I would say that if one of these cases can get decided some point before the next election, um, there's a very good chance that one of them will will win for the athletes.
0: All right. Well, um, you know, we haven't had many changes in college sports recently, so at least something's kind of mixing things up.
1: Really quiet, really uh, all quiet on uh, the Western front there. (laughs) Right.
0: Exactly. Well, Amanda Krzyzewicz, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: The WNBA has not announced plans for expansion, but they are dropping some pretty big hints. The league's Twitter account is engaging with fans who are calling on the league to add to its 12 teams. For instance, one fan wrote, please expand the WNBA, I'm begging, and the league's official account responded, say pretty please. The Bay Area is heavily rumored to be getting a team that would play in the Golden State Warriors' current arena and practice in their old one. If the league adds two teams, that leaves one more spot with Toronto, Denver, Austin, Nashville, Charlotte, and Portland, all mentioned at one point by WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelbert as potential landing spots. And speaking of expansion, Carolina Hurricanes owner Tom Dundon wants to bring an MLB team to Raleigh. He is leading the charge on a bid, but Raleigh will have competition, including from its own state, where Charlotte is seen as a possibility. Nashville is a frontrunner for a new team, and there's also interest from Salt Lake City, Orlando, Portland, Montreal, and assuming the A's leave, Oakland. Forbes' latest list of richest sports owners is topped for the ninth straight year by the world's most enthusiastic tech executive. LA Clippers owner Steve Ballmer is no longer calling the shots at Microsoft, but he still owns a lot of their stock. The tech giant's value rose around 26% over the last year, bringing Ballmer's wealth up to $101 billion. He's using some of his pocket change to build the Intuit Dome for around $2 billion, where the Clippers will play starting next year. Rob Walton, who owns the Denver Broncos, is the second richest sports team owner at $67.4 billion. And in third, we have Cleveland Cavaliers owner Dan Gilbert with a mere $21.3 billion. He's followed by the richest MLS team owner, David Tepper, who owns Charlotte FC and the Carolina Panthers, the richest MLB team owner, Steve Cohen, who owns the New York Mets and the Record Payroll, and the richest NHL team owner, Philip Anschutz, who owns the LA Kings. Private equity firms and sovereign wealth funds aren't on the list because they can't own a majority stake in teams, But they'll be providing more and more of the money going forward because as team values rise, the sports world is running low on billionaires who can afford them. Up next, I spoke to NBA front office insider at ESPN, Bobby Marks. The NBA has a lot riding on this season, with new rules affecting how teams and players do business, all while the league is negotiating a massive set of media deals. We got into all of that and plenty more, including the very strange case of the Philadelphia 76ers, and that conversation is coming up next. All right. Very excited to be joined now by ESPN NBA front office insider, Bobby Marks. Welcome, Bobby.
2: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Great to have you as we are on the cusp of a new NBA season. So I'll just kind of toss you a jump ball here. What What do you see as the big stories headed into this NBA season?
2: Well, you know, certainly we thought that it would have been maybe Damian Lillard. Um, having not having a home, but we can put that aside that he has been traded to Milwaukee. And then certainly Drew Holiday goes to, to Boston here. I think, I think that this big storyline is dominance at the top of each conference. When you look at it from the perspective of the Eastern conference where um, Milwaukee and Boston are. And if you're the heat, you're saying, what about us? Don't forget about us. And that's been to the finals two out of the four years. And then I think certainly where um, where the Western Conference has certainly gotten a lot better, where Phoenix and Denver winning the NBA championship um, a year ago, the Lakers certainly are, are top-heavy here. Um, but I, th- I just think it's a little bit, probably more so than in past years, more, a little bit more maybe top-heavy. Um, but at the end of the day, there's parity all over the place where you could have probably six or seven teams win the NBA championship.
0: Right. Yeah. I feel like there's a couple of teams like the Lakers and the Warriors where I kind of have no idea how good they are. They might be awesome. They might just kind of, you know, get stall out in midway through. Um, Is there any structural stuff, you know, around the CBA or anything else that you think creates this top heavy kind of league?
2: Well, I mean, certainly the the rules of the Supermax contract. And I think it's going to be interesting. That's and that's a storyline in itself this year. Where we potentially have eight high-level players that could become supermax eligible uh, if they are an all NBA. You're looking at players like Luka Doncic, uh, Brandon Ingram, Pascal Siakam, Bam Adebayo, De'Aaron Fox, um, Jamal Murray. Um, it's certainly a heavy Jaron Jackson, a heavy list of players here, and I think you're seeing it in um, you're seeing it in Boston right now with um, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Drew Holiday, Kristaps Porzingis four players that earn more, you know, north of, you know, $35 million here. It's a, it's, it, when you have um, a balance of top heavy contracts and then you have a lot of those players who are making $3 million or less, that's what the new CBA was trying, was trying to avoid. Um, unfortunately, then how the new CBA is set up, it, it basically gave everybody a one year window, what they thought was a one year window to get your finances in order, and before the harsher restrictions were going to start next next off season. And I've equated it, and I've I've talked to teams about. It, I've equated it. It's like you go to the the, the um, all you can eat buffet that closes at midnight, and you get there at eleven p.m. and you want to eat as much as you can because a lot of what teams are doing whether it be Boston with the Drew Holiday trade that's not allowed under the new under the new CBA but next offseason the same with Damian Lillard in Milwaukee that's not allowed under this uh, new CBA but how the rules are set up the league basically have kind of graced give a one year grace period for um, for some of these high spending teams i'm just interested interested to see where teams are a year from now with how they've spent um, do teams make decisions, financial decisions on, um, you know, as far as not being able to afford players? Um, that's a little bit of a, a, I guess we'll wait and see approach as far as how the CBA affects, um, affects, you know, basically how it affects roster building.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, the new CBA in terms of, we'll see what actually happens, but in terms of accomplishing the goals of, you know, keeping uh player's salaries or team, you know, team payrolls, I should say to a limit, I think it's doing it the right way instead of saying, well, if you go over this line, then you have to pay this much more money. It's like, well, some owners are just going to say, okay, I'm a billionaire. You know, this is pocket change for me. Some won't. Um, so, but I think by limiting player movement instead, if you're over certain lines, Uh, that might be more effective because then the best roster might involve having a smaller payroll. Um, Are you expecting a lot of player movement, Um, you know, either heading up to the trade deadline or next off season as these rules are, you know, when we're at that moment where, you know, midnight, the new rules take place?
2: Well, it's always about who's the next disgruntled all-star. And certainly we're kind of in a holding pattern When it comes to the future of James Harden in Philadelphia, who's in the last year of his contract, can't sign an extension, will be a free agent, has asked to be traded, wants to go to the Clippers. But the Clippers are looking at it thinking, wait a minute, we're the only team bidding for him and why are we bidding against ourselves? So now you're in this holding pattern. Harden did not report for media day. We'll see what happens if he reports, um, reports to training camp. Um, you would have thought maybe Giannis would be that next guy based on what happens this year. But I think if certainly the addition of holiday, I mean, um, holiday um, Lillard, they're going to be a, you know, they're going to be a good team. Um, What, but you never know, you never know what happens. They, maybe they flame out in the first round and Giannis says, Oh, this is not for me. Um, It's interesting. There's a lot of players um, that are extension eligible uh, up until October 23rd. um, Player Like Donovan Mitchell, for example, who, Uh, Cleveland went all in last offseason, is eligible to sign an extension for another three years, but has said, you know what, let me get through this year, and then we're going to revisit it next year. Could it be Mitchell as that next-year scruntled all-star? And, of course, everybody in the NBA is waiting to see what happens in Philadelphia. Um, What happens with Joel Embiid in Philadelphia? um, He's in year one of this Supermax extension. As you know, doesn't mean anything how contracts are in this league. Um, Two out of the last three years, Philadelphia has had a distraction in training camp. Ben Simmons two years ago, James Harden this year. Um, I found it interesting, Joel was talking, but they were asking him about Boston and and Milwaukee. And he says, well, who says that those teams have overlapped Philadelphia? And I said, well, wait a minute, you lost in the second round. Um, Boston made it to an Eastern Conference Finals and nobody's even talking about Miami here. Um, So I'm interested to see what happens in um, in Philadelphia with, um, you know, certainly with uh, with Embiid there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, as long as as we're on the 76ers, they just feel a a little I get a weird vibe right now Um, because, yeah, the reasons you mentioned Harden wants out Embiid's future is a little bit up in the air. They also have this um, new arena situation where they're trying to build a downtown arena and there's some pushback from different groups in the city. That's an ongoing thing
2: the arena situation when I was in New Jersey in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And it's, it feels very similar without the, um, the economics of the world crashing around us here. Like we haven't gotten that, you know, when the economy crashed in like 07 or 08 here, but I, I lived through it in New Jersey where Bruce Ratner bought the nets in 04 with the intent on moving it to Brooklyn and we didn't get there to 2012. That's eight years of kind of in a holding pattern. And certainly the economic crisis played a big role in that. Um, But it feels very similar to where, where Philadelphia is, is where they're kind of trying to force this arena in this small plot of land in an area where it's like, if you tell me, Hey, we're going to, we have 500 acres out in this area and we're going to build this whole big thing. I'd be like, great, build it. It's like you're they're basically trying to do, what Brooklyn, what the arena, the Barclay Center in Brooklyn in a in the same area, but maybe more crowded, it feels like that area in Brooklyn wasn't as developed as it is right now um, where the rail yards are and they were able to kind of build around. Um, and it's 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 interesting. They, yes, they do need a new arena. But is that exactly like the right spot for it?
0: Right. And yeah, there's always this weird dynamic when when teams decide they're they're going to have a new facility. Yeah, when do you say we are all in on this one spot? I've seen this, you know, the, I'm in the Oakland area. So similar, not exactly similar situation with the A's. But uh, but yeah, it's like once you once you put your chips on that one spot and it's like, well, that that triggers a lot of movement toward that happening but also against that happening because people are saying well here's all the problems with this spot here's the reason we don't want it in this spot so it's just interesting with them because their roster is so talented they're they're title contenders and yet it feels like there there's just kind of a weirdness around this team right now
2: i really thought their opportunity you know, last year when they went up 3-2 in the Boston series, um, like, here you go. Here's it, you know, because how wide open the, you know, you get to a conference finals and you're playing Miami, you know, you could be you could have been there where, um, you know, where, um, you know, against Denver here. And I just, I look at Philadelphia, you know, you've got a new coach in Nick Nurse, who's a really good coach. Um, they have um, basically postponed um, extension talks with Tyrese Maxey, their young up-and-coming guard because – the goal is that for Philadelphia is to have as much cap space as you can next offseason here. And I always say that, and I think they could have up to like 65, $70 million. I always say like cap space is great for me to talk about, for me to go on ESPN and my fancy touchscreen and move the guys around and show you. It's great. It's a great storyline here, but from a team standpoint and having worked in a front office cap space is the biggest fool's gold anybody will ever see because at the end of the day, there's how many times can a team go out and get Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in one offseason here? Phil so, uh Houston went out and had you know sixty-five million in cap space and they signed Fred Van Vliet, who's a nice player, and Dylan Brooks and Jeff Green. And so what do you what are you? Instead of the four the 14th worst record in the Western Conference, what are you 12th now? I mean you're still not a yeah. playing team here. And to build rosters these days organically, you build it, you know, certainly through the draft through trades, you know, free, uh, free agency is usually third. And I just I, I find it fascinating that Philadelphia is going to want, to want to take this cap space approach and how they build around Embiid and who are those players going to be there.
0: A couple of uh, new changes coming into the NBA I want to hit on before we're done. Uh, so they've got a new policy where teams can't rest stars. I and mean, there's a bunch of nuances that we don't have to get into all the details of it. PPP, we call it. Player participant. Patient policy rule. Yeah. Do you think we're going to notice this just as people watching the games? You
2: know, it's going to be interesting. You're going to know what you'll probably notice in certain guys sitting out and you'll be like, why is, is he going to get this team going to get in, in trouble for him? And then we're going to have to pull out. I wrote an article about a month ago on it. And you will be like, Oh, that player doesn't define as a star as how the league defines it. Because there's a list of, you know, whatever it is, um, 70 players, let's say that are, that fall under this criteria here. You know, Kawhi Leonard came out on media day and said, "Like, you know, hey, if I'm healthy, I'm going to play." And you, and basically, how the the rule is is that the league wants the star players to appear in two things: national television games. So whether it be on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and back to backs, they don't want you sitting out a back to back. They don't want the Lakers to come play Brooklyn. And then the next, the next night and LeBron James and Anthony Davis, both sit out the Brooklyn game to be ready for the Knicks game. They don't want situations like that. I think it's, um, you know, there's certainly rules where certain players are, you know, LeBron James is grandfathered in where, um, non national TV games where if they Lakers send permission to the league a week in advance, they can, you know, he doesn't have to play back to back if they don't want to here. Um, but I am interested, um, to see, um, who violates the rules because there's going to be somebody because the fine in the beginning is not as tough, you know, as doesn't have as much teeth. But when you get to that third number, you know, it's like 1.2 million. Then you keep on adding and adding and adding. And then I'm interested to see who gets investigated, what doctor gets investigated from the team perspective right. by the NBA. Like, it's like, we're going down this, you know, this rabbit hole here. I think that the one thing that's what I like about it is that, we don't. We won't get to a point, and this is where it goes back to Damian Lillard. What would have happened if Damian Lillard was still on the Portland Trail roster, and Portland said, "You know what? We're going to send Damian Lillard home until we figure it out." Well, under these rules, you can't do that with star level players. You can't, you know, send a James Harden away um, because they would be violating this player participation policy rule. Um, but the big thing too, I'm interested in, is do the go- do the goalposts change at all during the regular season as far as who fits this criteria? And Victor Wembanyama is like the perfect example. Victor is a star, but he's not a star under the criteria because he's a rookie right now. But what happens if um, Greg Popovich says, you know what, that TNT game on a Thursday night? Well, we're playing the night before, and Victor's not going to play in that TNT game. Now does the league all of a sudden come in and now we def- we start changing around the criteria a little bit here? So there's I think we're in a little bit of a wait and see. Certainly when we get to the All Star game, players can be added. Um, Tyrese Maxey, for example, if makes the All Star game for the first time. Now he would fall into that star um, that star criteria here. I'm, I'm fascinated by it because it's just another layer um, as far as us to keep an eye on here. And I and I understand the goal. You've got a new you've got a new um, television deal that everyone is going to be negotiating the league and whether it be ESPN and TNT and, you know, some of these other networks here. I think they you know, Mark Cuban said it perfectly. There's the gambling aspect of it all. Right. Like I know, you know, gambling was always taboo. But now that it's so, you know, most states you can legalize sports gambling. It's so out up out front. Um, you know, people don't people want to know who's playing in these games. Right. Um, and it's, you know, you, and it's not like you can just step on the court for five minutes like that violates the, the policy here. So it, it is pretty fascinating here um, that this was not a collectively bargained rule. This was a rule that was approved by the Board of Governors. Um, and I, and I, I found it fascinating because people were like, wait a minute, this will never get approved without the players vote on it. And I said, well, this is not a rule that impacts the players in their pocketbook. This is really because it's the teams are getting fined here. As far as if a player or a team violates the rule, what's interesting is is that when a team gets fined under this new collective bargaining agreement, fifty percent of that fine goes to the players' association now. So, so James Harden could be sitting out. The Sixers could get whacked a million million dollars, and five hundred a thousand of that now goes back to the PA here. Um, so there's a lot of different things to kind of un- you know, unpack with that.
0: Last thing I uh, want to ask you about before we go, another new change heading into this year and also one clearly that is looking toward the next set of media deals, the midseason tournament. Um, I feel like I kind of know what this is, but I also don't really know what to expect. Is it going to be more like an all star game? Will it sort of blend into the regular season? So what are you expecting here?
2: You know, it's funny. I, first of all, nobody likes change. <laughs> nobody <laughs> likes change at all and when you tweak an 82 game schedule and now we're you know we we made a lot to, to do about the in-season tournament and certainly this is the commissioner the commissioner's baby right he's looking at what um, European soccer has been able to do and even the WNBA as far as the um, I think they call it the commissioner's cup here my take on it is that we were going to play 82 games anyway so if you win it all you're playing game, or you make it to the finals you're you're playing game 83 it's not like we're adding eight games onto it, and if it can alleviate back to backs because you're not playing a back to back as a as playing um, type, uh, you know, uh, as not a play as a, a mid season game, um, I'm fine with it. I'm I'm interested to see where we are. A lot of players in this league, and I know the majority of everyone are millionaires here, but if you can get if you can make five hundred thousand dollars an extra five hundred thousand dollars from winning a, a mid season tournament um it's a nice little bonus I would I've, I said it on TV I would have loved to see it where you win the, the midseason tournament now do you get it are you automatically qualify as a top 16 team do you automatically qualify as a playing team? Is there a little bit more of a caveat there here for from a team perspective to make it you know like if you're the Lakers you know hey we've already we've already made it we're at least a playing team here And then that comes back to, well, now we've got this player participation policy. We can't rest, guys. We still have to play. Um, so I'm fine with the midseason tournament. I'm not as up in arms as some other people here because I just thought, of, you know, we weren't going to shrink the schedule down to 65 games. We're not adding more unless it's an additional one game if you make it to the, um, to the finals here.
0: Yeah, and I'm with you from a fan perspective on that point. Like, I don't particularly care if a bunch of NBA players get an extra half a million dollars or which ones get an extra half a million dollars. I do care if someone's getting a draft pick or a yeah, playoff position or something that that alters the, the actual, you know, the season and the team. Uh, we got to let you go. Bobby Marks, thanks so much for joining us on the show.
2: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
0: That's it for today. Subscribe to Front Office Sports Today on your favorite podcast app. Thanks to Eric Fisher and everyone else who filled in while I was out. And thanks to you for listening. We will see you tomorrow.